0: Our sermon series on the joy of Christ. We've looked at several things throughout this pandemic to just look at the joy that we have in Christ together, to kind of focus on that, not to ignore the difficulty, but to put it in its proper place with a proper perspective on who Christ is and what he has done for us. And we're going to conclude by looking at the eternal joy that we have in Jesus Christ, and I. I think there's a phrase that every child knows. I don't know where they learn it from. I think it crosses culture and probably time. It's the phrase that every parent hears at some point, and it goes something like this. Aw, can't we stay a little bit longer? Any parent ever heard that? Over at a friend's house, they're playing in the backyard. Okay, guys, time to go. Aw, can't we stay a little bit longer? Maybe you're at an amusement park and you've just spent your life savings, <laughs> mostly on snacks. You've been there for like 23 hours straight. Come on, kids, time to go. Ah, can't we stay a little bit longer? Anything that's fun for them, can't we just stay a little bit longer? Now, they don't use this all the time, right? Hey, kids, go clean your room. An hour later, okay, now we need to go, aw, can't I keep cleaning a little bit longer? You never hear that. (laughs) School bell goes off at the end of the day, everybody's dismissed, aw, can't we stay a little bit longer? I never, ever heard that or said that toward the end of a really long sermon, never, you know, (laughs) Aww. can't he just talk a little bit longer? You don't hear that, doesn't happen. We've been looking at joy in Christ during this difficult time. Who would have thought what this world would hold? What this year would hold for our world? We faced a global pandemic. We as a local church have faced and are facing church struggles. People have faced economic hardships. There's racial injustice. And lately, there's a plume of dust traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, coming up the eastern seaboard, so we have that to look forward to. Who would have thought, and it's not even halfway over yet. 2020 is just about halfway done. We need joy rooted in something beyond us and outside of our circumstances, It's interesting because as a pastor, so often I find myself preaching to people and having to convince them of this. You think you are secure. You think you are in control. Let's look at Scripture. You're not. God is in control. I think people are starting to get it a little bit. I think God is telling us and knocking on the door of our lives, you are not in control at all. And you can't root your joy in what you think you have control over. It must be be something beyond us, more secure than us, outside of our circumstances. We must have joy in Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look to the future, to the eternal joy that we have in Jesus Christ, which is a topic far larger than I could possibly contain in one sermon. But we're going to look at three particular aspects. And the first one is how we experience the fulfillment of something. And and as I was thinking about this, I thought, the greater the process or effort to get to something, the more fulfillment and joy you feel in that thing. All right, now follow me. You got to go to the grocery store. It's a process, effort, make your list. Maybe you're one of those mental list people. Maybe you're a real list people. Doesn't matter. You, You figure it out. You go to the grocery store. You complain about everybody wearing masks how awkward it is and how hot it is. You get your groceries, you come home, and you actually got everything that you wanted. How do you feel? Well, it's fulfilled. There's some joy there. I mean, it's not, you know, run up and down the streets yelling or anything. It's, but it's like, hey, okay, this went well. A little bit of process, a little bit of effort leads to a little bit of fulfillment and joy. But the greater the process and the greater the effort, the more joy it leads to. I've had the joy of going on several short-term mission trips and you get a team together and you plan and you work together and you you lay out ministry plans. You lay out what you're going to do. You work with the the ministry in country or the missionary you're going to work with and you lay out plans and then the team starts team building and practicing and working on lessons. You plan travel arrangements. Talk about effort. Travel arrangements for a team of 12 to 16 people is no joke. You work on the costs and the budget, and you work for months and months and months. You work. And something amazing happens when you get in country. You look at the team's faces, and they might be really tired from a long travel day, but they're so excited to be there. And you watch them day by day as they interact with the people, the culture, and with the missionary, and as they serve, and as they do the things they were trained to do, or they adjust because everything got thrown up in the air, and it's all different anyway. But that's part of their training, and you watch them, and there is a profound joy in it. Why? Because there was a huge process, and a lot of effort that went into it. And so there was a lot of joy in the fulfillment of that effort. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is often known as the great hall of fame of faith. It lists people such as Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, people that showed amazing faith throughout the Old Testament. Abel brought a sacrifice with a heart just just pure and wanting to worship God. Noah, of course, builds the ark out of faith, trusting the Lord. Abraham leaves his homeland, goes to a place that God just says, just keep walking, I'll tell you when you get there, and he does it. He trusts God for his future. Sarah as well, his wife, trusts God, even though she was far past childbearing age, she trusts. Not always perfectly, but she trusted. These people trusted and kept going. And I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, because it says something very interesting about them. Starting in verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I love that mentality. Whatever situation they were in, whatever hardship or whatever joy or blessing, Scripture says they were looking beyond it. They were looking to a future fulfillment. They were looking forward to when God's plans would be demonstrated, whether they would see it in their own lives or in future generations or not until the kingdom come. They were looking forward to something else. And I think it really changes how we look at their stories. See, I looked at Noah so often as somebody that trusted God that it would rain, and so he built an ark. It's interesting to think of Noah as somebody that looked ahead to land that would be dry and trusted God to take him there. It's a forward-looking faith. Abraham trusted in a promised land and a future family, a family that didn't make sense, a promise that made no sense given his present circumstances. But he said, God can take me from here to where God's plans will be fulfilled. Sarah trusted in God's promise that she would one day hold her own child. A child of promise to fulfill the covenant that God had given them. Forward-looking faith. Verse 15 says, not thinking about what they left. Boy, we do that often, don't we? Oh, it'd be easier if we could just go back. And, and I think here the author is referring specifically to a pattern throughout Hebrews of of using this journey of the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land as sort of a picture of our faith and our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And in the wilderness, though they had been rescued and brought out in powerful, dynamic ways, they wanted to go back. It's the opposite of that forward-looking faith, looking forward to the fulfillment of what God will do. They said, ah, we were pretty good back then, which is funny because that's not what they said back then. But now they're looking back and saying, I think it'd be better to go back. Instead, they're looking now, these people, for a better country, a heavenly one. The men and women of Hebrews chapter 11 trusted God for a long time. In very difficult circumstances. We are called to be like this. One day at a time, one moment at a time, one foot in front of the other, even when it doesn't make sense, even when this world mocks us, even when we struggle with our own doubts, even when sin pulls at us and says, just stop for a while. With the eyes of faith, we are to look forward and say, God is at work and the fulfillment is coming. His plan is being worked out. It is a certain thing. And if these people live their lives with that in view, imagine what fulfillment and joy they felt when they stepped into the presence of their Lord God Almighty. Talk about process, effort, and the fulfillment and joy when you have the realization of that. But as we look at this effort and this process, we need to be careful I don't want to give the impression that it's, it's just our effort and our process. In chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes to the Corinthian church kind of a synopsis of what he taught them. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is one of the many ways that Paul is referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God sent his son to die on the cross for us. And then if we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, a little later, he applies this. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. Okay, so if our fulfillment, the greater the fulfillment, the greater the joy, and the more the process and effort to get there is a greater fulfillment and a greater joy, when did God start planning the gospel? Before time began. You don't get a longer process than that, in case you're wondering. And what effort did it take for us to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ? God took on flesh. And He went to the cross. And He... Perfect God took on the sin of imperfect humanity and died in our place. And then he rose from the grave. So, so you've got quite a process there. And you've got quite an effort there. And if that's the process and that's the effort that is going to be fulfilled when we stand in glory forever, imagine the incredible fulfillment and joy we will have for all eternity. God had a plan from before creation to save us through Jesus Christ. And in eternity, we will have unending joy because we will be experiencing the fulfillment of God's eternal purposes. Let's look at another joy of heaven. I'm calling this the joy of restoration. Did you know there's a a whole category of videos on YouTube called restoration videos? Anybody familiar with this? Now, understand, if you don't watch these things as I describe them to you, it's going to sound like the dumbest thing ever, which is pretty typical of YouTube, okay? But they take, like, rusty tools and they show maybe a 10, 15-minute video of some guy cleaning up the rust and restoring the tool. It kind of sounds like watching paint dry. And yet it is a huge growing thing on YouTube. Some of them take old machines, old uh, lawn mowers or motors that are just completely broken down, maybe an old car that they found, and, and they restore it. There are channels that all they do is take old shoes and restore them. And you might think, I would never watch these. Do you know why they're so popular, though? Because people go, I, just, I wonder, and they start watching, and they go, oh, look how shiny it got. <gasps> It looks so much better. Oh, i got to watch another one. Why? I think it's because it is so satisfying to see something ugly and worthless being restored to beauty and worth. I think there's something within us that takes joy in that, whether it's an old sneaker, because that's something we can look at and we can kind of objectively say it was this bad and now it's this good. But carry that over into life. How much more so do we feel the restoration of a relationship? A soldier that comes back from battle and sees their family again. How much more so do we see the joy of a sick person being brought back to health and come home from the hospital? That restoration We experience great joy when something important and meaningful that was lost or damaged is restored. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Here's at the end of the creation week, God has created all things, and he says, it is very good good. But then we fast forward to Romans chapter 1 and we see this picture of the world. Romans chapter 1 verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. We've come a long way since Genesis chapter 1 in this passage, haven't we? How do we get from God saying, oh, it's all very good to now the people have basically forgotten about God. They choose not to give glory to God, not to give thanks to him and their minds, their thinking has become messed up. We could look at another passage. Romans chapter eight, verse 20 and 21 uses these phrases, talks about creation being subjected to frustration and being in bondage to decay. My, how far we've come from Genesis chapter one. What happened? Sin. Sin came into the world. Sin makes things ugly, worthless, marred, and damaged. Creation became ugly, became marred, damaged, distorted. And we live now as damaged people in a damaged world. And if there are some people that take joy in watching a rusty hammer be restored, how much more joy should we have in seeing people restored to their creator God through Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. There's the restoration. The created order that God declared was very good. And now he says, in Christ, you are a new creation. It is restored. What joy there is in that. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. I want to look at verses 1 through 8. And I want you to listen as the Apostle John tells us this vision he had of the new heavens and the new earth. And listen to the restoration that will be ours for eternity. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Here we see a perfect restoration. God's dwelling is with his people. Just as he intended back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1, when he creates the world and he creates the garden and he puts Adam and Eve in there. God created us to be with him. And it is restored in Revelation chapter 21. No more separation. No more tears or death or mourning or crying or pain. There is a complete removal of all the effects of sin. Talk about restoration. Now verse 8 there is tough, isn't it? We don't like to talk about that one. That, That talks about removing some things. But if you ever watch something being restored... You're never going to restore it simply by adding things to it. Dirt, rust, tarnish has to be removed. They're out of place with the restoration. And God has provided the means for our sin to be removed through Jesus Christ now. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of mercy that restores us now. But the Bible clearly says there is another way that sin will be removed. And that is that those who haven't received Christ will be removed from that new heaven and new earth. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a restoration. But imagine the ultimate joy at this restoration. People restored by Christ, living in a world restored by God, in a relationship restored through Jesus Christ for all eternity. Let's look at one more joy that we will have for all eternity. The beauty and awe of God's presence throughout Scripture is described in this little word, glory, that means so much. It's one of those words that contains so much more meaning than those five little letters can possibly hold. It is in many ways the sum total of all that God is and the experience that we will have when we see and experience the glory of who God is. It's a description of Him. It's our response to Him and the experience we have in His presence. All of it is glory. I once had the opportunity to go to a home game at Notre Dame. We lived in South Bend, Indiana. Any college football fans? I am not. At all. Like football? College football, I don't care. But as we walked, so so we lived in South Bend, and this is a huge deal. If you don't understand college football, Notre Dame has a long history. I mean, it's kind of an idol there. Not just kind of, it absolutely is. (laughs) But I'll tell you, As somebody that didn't get it, didn't really want to get it, but somebody had bought us tickets and wanted to have the experience, there was something the moment you walked onto campus on game day, you knew something was different. It sounds weird to say, but there was a feeling in the air. There was an excitement. There was a buzz on campus. Student groups were hanging out and tailgating. And it's a dry campus, so they weren't just drunk. I mean, they were like hanging out and having fun and stuff. You could hear the marching band warming up in the distance, and then they began to parade across the campus. And crowds would rush over and watch them. You could see so much history and so much tradition as you walk into the stadium. This old, old football stadium. And you could look over the one goalpost, and over there, no joke, is Touchdown Jesus on the back of the library building, and you see him straight over the goalpost doing this. Raising his arms in blessing, but he is uniquely positioned in that stadium and and in that direction. And he is forever known, or that mosaic on the side of this like eight-story building is touchdown Jesus. You see traditions throughout the game. Every time the home team scores, some smaller student would be lifted up by a bunch of other students up over their head. And for every point, they would kind of do this. They would lay flat in one, two, three, four, five, six. And then they wait for the extra point. Seven. And you're looking around going, what in the world is going on? But there was a sense that there was something going on there. And while I didn't necessarily care about the football game all that much, I don't even remember if they won or lost. I'm pretty sure they lost because I think they lost pretty much every game at that time. But you felt like you were a part of something. You were experiencing something amazing. Glory is that picture of being in the presence of something beyond you. Something more than what you understand, more than what you grasp, more than what you have control over. And the greater the experience, the more momentous, the more meaningful it is, the more the experience of glory. God's power, His beauty, His love, His judgment, His grace, His mercy, His sovereignty, all of things are wrapped up in His display of His glory. We were created to live in the experience of God's glory forever. Not only to live in that experience, but to reflect that glory in a unique way. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is unique in all of creation. Those that say humans are just like every other animal. That is not what scripture says. This is absolutely unique for us. And there's so many things that being created in the image of God means, but one of them is we are created to reflect and display His glory in a way that nothing else possibly can. Yet then we come to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Think of the, the sadness of that Verse created to experience God's glory and to display and reflect God's glory and yet all have sinned and fall short of that glory. We live every single day in a world that is marred by and we live lives that are marred by always constantly falling short of the very purpose for which we are created. You ever get that feeling that something's just not quite right? There it is. Something is not quite right. So much has been lost. But look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 11. As we continue on with what John writes in that chapter. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It's interesting that the angel comes to John and says, I'm going to show you the bride of Christ. This is a term throughout Scripture used for the people saved by Jesus Christ. And and so you expect in this scene that John's going to turn around and he's going to see a crowd of people, the bride of Christ. But he turns around and what does he see? A city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. But verse 11 gives us a key point. It's shown with the glory of God. The Bible begins with God creating a place and putting us in that place to live in His presence forever. Guess where the Bible ends? With a place that is also a people. And God's presence is with us forever and ever in His perfect glory. Why? How? Because we stand in that glory Even though we had fallen short, Christ has measured up. And he gives us his righteousness through the cross and the resurrection. If I felt any sense of joy at that Notre Dame football game, when I didn't even care about Notre Dame or college football whatsoever, imagine how much joy a diehard fan that had looked forward their whole life to watching a Notre Dame home game would have felt. Now take that and think about those of us who are longing for heaven to live in and display the glory of God for each and every day for eternity. Imagine the glory and the joy that will be ours for eternity when that is exactly what will happen. All this is through Jesus Christ. Joy in our greatest purpose being fulfilled, which is in Christ. Joy in being restored in Christ. Joy in living in the eternal glory of God because of Christ. And this is why, friends, we must seek our joy in Christ now. Being a Christian is looking forward, but it cannot just be looking forward. We must look at our lives now and say, how do I practice that truth now? How do I sink the roots of my life down into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and find my joy in him now? We must be like Hebrews eleven sixteen says, long for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We must each and every day say, that's where I'm going. God has prepared it for me. He has accomplished it for me through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to live it out now. As we close this sermon series on joy in Christ, I encourage you, and I know it's hard right now, don't let this world pull your eyes off of Jesus Christ. Don't focus on the country you've left behind with its lies of just go back. Keep your eyes on Christ. Set your eyes on the eternal joy that is awaiting you through Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, we will live each and every day in God's perfect, glorious presence forever and ever. And the answer to the question, can we stay longer? will always be. Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, these are difficult times. And we get distracted by meaningful and difficult things. But things that still need to be kept in proper perspective to who you are, to your glory and your gospel and the eternal truth of your eternal plan through Jesus Christ to save us, to restore us, to change us, and for us to live in your glorious presence forever. I pray, Father, we would not be people easily distracted from that powerful truth. And that by having our focus there, we would be an encouragement to others to look to Jesus as their Savior.